I'm, I'm a big believer in the, the small, um, the, the light touch, you know, the the living, like I say, it's like the um, the hidden hand of God, right? Like this, like these subtle things, the, the little conversations that you have with your neighbors, the little interactions that don't jump out at you, you know, and they're not like, oh, I accomplished, like I put in a school garden or, you know, but I had a conversation with my neighbor and he was getting rid of his, you know, his trimmings from his shrubs out there. And I'm like, hey, I'll take those. Um, and he goes, why? You know? And then it's like, boom, like that kind of stuff to me is really powerful. When my neighbors see they're putting all their green materials out on the street and I'm, I'm taking all this stuff in to my yard. And then they ask me a question why, um, you know? So yeah, this book that I'm, I'm looking to write, it's called passive solutions for a modern age. Um, and it's, it's all about passive interactions um and how that those are the most powerful and you know and passive in all ways like passive technology um passive ways to communicate to people um about this kind of stuff um to me the biggest problem well, not problem but you know one of the one of the things that's slowing this whole movement down i feel like is there's a lot of you know uh, high horse kind of you know stuff going on and people are, you know, like finger pointing and, you know, and there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, we're not connecting with enough people. And, you know, in this area, I mean, it's a very mixed, uh, culture here. We have, you know, like Chico, Chico state is just right, right around the corner here. Um, and then we also have a real a big like rice farm community and, you know, like real conservative Republican type folks, you know, and, um, and for me, I'm always thinking about what is the most change that you can affect? Like, where can you attack these, these places of leak, leak points, right? In the community where it's the logging industry, the farming community, um, you know, mothers, you know, mothers, children, you know, like the mother is the key way like to everything, you know? And so, you know, like spending that little bit extra time with, um, you know, my, my kids, uh, mothers at the school that I work at and really spending that quality time with them and seeing that, you know, cause if you can win the mother over, you know, and the, the child's on board and you win the mother over now she's pulling the father figure in, you know, into the, into the equation. And he's a farmer, he's a logger, you know, and all of a sudden, and you're not preaching, you know, it's like, they're looking over and going, what are you doing over there? You know? And now all of a sudden they're coming up with these ideas on their own, you know, and I don't care how they get there. You know, I'm, I'm just like, let's, you know, let's have, let's have, dinner together and let's you know let's not even talk about permaculture let's not talk about anything different let's just become friends first mm. you know and to me that's that's the most <clears throat> that's why i've been really successful is because I, I i work with all you know all walks of life and um you know and i just get down to a, a real basic level with them and we all eat we all you know <laughs> need shelter 
Uh, we all want to pay less money for our bill, you know, for our electricity bills and our, you know, heating bills. And we all want to save money, you know, and <clears throat> if you can just kind of try to ignore all the rest of the stuff and just be friend, you know, be friends. And like Dalai Lama said, you know, like, well, they asked him, what do you, what do you think we should do for all the problems in the Middle East and, you know, all this war and everything like that. And he said, well, first you need to have a party. You need to have lots of parties, you know, you'd have, you know, music and food and, you know, start there and then, you know, then worry about the rest of it. America needs to take that one to heart. Yeah. So, but. Yeah. but I, think, I think that right there is really interesting though, because communal celebrations are what create communal memories, are what create traditions. And those kind of traditions have eroded and broken down on a, on a countrywide level, on a you know, community, you know, uh, local level as well. And so recreating those, those events that tie our hearts together, our memories together, mm -hmm. really empowering for everyone involved because it's, it's a part of our mind, not just like our hearts and, and that, whole, you know, that whole thing. It literally exercises parts of our brain that we, we, we love to use. <laughs> We're social beings. Right. So, yeah. I could, I could tell you a bit of my story here, um, you know, coming into this area. And, um, cause I was, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, so I'm, I'm in Oroville right now. Yeah. I'm living in town, like downtown. Mm -hmm. So, but I came from off grid. Yeah. Um, I was up there, I was off grid for seven years and it's actually funny cause, um, I, right before I moved down, I was dating a girl out of town. Um, she was in Sacramento. And so we were doing this long distance commute thing for a while. And, you know, we, we, we were trying to figure out how can we can bring our families together. Cause she has three kids and, you know, from out there and I have my daughter and it was like, you know, we had to, and, and they were both kind of stuck to those areas because of the other parent. And, um, and so, you know, we were trying to figure it out and I, I, this house came up, you know, down in Orville and I, you know, I, I was a good price and I was like looking at it <clears throat> and I went out a week before, uh, I heard about this to, uh, Soilborn Farms in Sacramento where I'd been doing some teaching at and, uh, Toby Hemingway just came out with his book, Permaculture Cities. And he was doing his little tour and stuff. And he had actually been doing quite a bit of work there in Sacramento at, at this farm. Um, he, he was teaching a PPC, like a long style one, like over it was like six months, I want to say. And, um, you know, and I went there and listened to his talk. And we, we talked for a while afterwards. And, you know, it was like right to me because, you know, he came from that rural, you know, off grid property. And he was like saying how, how much once he moved into town, like you realize how much more powerful, um, it was, you know, to, to use permaculture in, in that setting and all the connections that, you know, you don't have in, you know, all the inputs that you have to bring in usually when you're living off grid and, you know, and it was like, I don't know, a lot of the things were just hit me. And, uh, so he died like two weeks later after this. <clears throat> and I got a call from Soilborn Farms and they asked me to take over his job uh, you know, teaching at the farm. And, you know, it was like a, 
really crazy aha. You know, it was like, whoa. Like, and first of all, it made me realize that I didn't, I didn't think of myself as like, I guess there, there just wasn't a lot of permaculture teachers in the area, you know? And I thought Sacramento, like there's gotta be, you know, a bunch of people out there. I, I know there is, but maybe not like out there teaching and, you know? And so I'm like, wow, I'm okay. That Like I'm in this position and, you know, so everything. So I felt like he was like speaking through me for a while. Like, you know, after that, because I felt like that weight of, of his, his work and, um, you know, what I could do there. And so when this house came up, you know, like a week later, um, you know, it was like, it was like, okay, this is what I have to do. You know, it would have made me closer to my daughter. Um, it would have made me closer to my, my ex-girlfriend at the time. And, you know, and so I just went full bore. Like when I came down here, I was like, I got a blank palette, you know, backyard, just started working it. Um, you know, I started collecting food scraps from local restaurants, which are like five minutes down the road for me. Um, so we got seven restaurants. I'm, I'm doing green waste pickups now, uh, which never existed. Um, it's like a super slow mining town, you know, old mining town, like, you know, just like very on the edge of, you know, I mean, businesses are closing every couple months, you know, um, you know, when I'm, you've been to these places. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, you know, they're, they're holding on to old ideas, like cultures that aren't based in the land that aren't there anymore. And, you know, it's like, there's no jobs. Well, okay, well, maybe it's time to start doing something different. <clears throat> but it's an incredible opportunity, right? It's a, it's an incredible niche. And um, yeah, I just started, you know, I started composting. I'd worked for Elaine, you know, up there in Berry Creek. And um, I, I started doing a lot of composting here to get the, the system going. And, um, you know, started, you know, working my design in the backyard, meeting neighbors while I'm doing that. Like I was talking about, like I'm bringing in truckloads of stuff and they're bringing it out, you know, and they're like, what's going on? My next door neighbor, because um, I had a cycle, you know, fence in between us, you know, and I'm making my first thermal compost pile, and he's looking over, like, seeing steam rising out of this thing, you know, and it's like, what are you doing, you know? I was like, well, you know, if you want to come over for a beer, we could talk about it, and uh, you know, it turns out he was a grower, you know, up in the mountains, and so like now he's on composting, uh, you know, he started composting, so little things like that. Um, I started popping into the back of these restaurants, you know, like getting food scraps and all the, you know, the chefs are like my age um, and stuff. And so we're, we're starting to chop it up. I'm going there at certain times, like around two o'clock. So I know that they're slow so we can talk because they're cool, you know, and they're giving me free samples of their, you know, what they're making for dinner. And, you know, now I'm, you know, after like about, you know, a year or whatever, nine months, I'm bringing them food for my garden. Um, you know, giving them samples of things they've never tried, like cardoon, you know, and, and, you know, I'm like, check this out. You know, you could, it's like hard show cart. It's even better. Um, and you know, little things like that and that, like those relationships with restaurants developed with one of them, it's a brewery down the street from my house. And, uh, they had this courtyard that they bought it used to be a bus station. Um, and they, they bought it like just thinking, okay, they'll do community events and things like that. And it was just, you know, bad landscaping, like all like, you know, they weren't appropriate for the, the climate and everything was dying. And, you know, and I was like, Hey, uh, well, first I did my first PDC, um, uh, that year, um, like about, yeah, I guess I moved here in March 
So I just I just pulled three years the other day. So I'm at, I'm just over three years. So that would have been like about nine months later. I did my first PDC here out of my out of my house. You know, I've got a whiteboard. Like I'll show you. Like here's my. Nice. <laughs> so it's multifunctional um, space here. <clears throat> so I, I did my PDC and then. Um, you know, I was telling the, the owner, I was like, Hey, you know, if you want, I can, um, like we can do a consult on that property for you. I can take the whole class. Cause I usually take my, my whole class and we do a consult for a real client. Um, and I thought how cool it would it be to do like something different, like do it for a business. Right. So that they can like think about not just for somebody's backyard, but how can I incorporate into a business like, you know, and, and, and for food and things like that. So they did, uh, we had eight students in that class. I like kind of intimate, like 10 or less. That's my thing. Um, and so, yeah, they did eight different designs for it. And I showed him a couple little sneak peeks of it. And he was really excited. And he's like, I want to throw you guys like a, like a party, you know, for the, for the graduation. And I was like, sweet. He had this empty building next to the place. We, um, you know, we had a bar party there. Like, I had about 68 people show up um, for this event, which was like pretty big for, you know, this little area. And, um, and we filled the whole place up, you know, I had bands and stuff and, um, and they did their design. They showed him the designs and he was so fired up about it. He comes a week later and he asked me if I'd like to take over the lease of the space and implement the design. And we would work on a master design based on his favorite stuff from all eight of the students. And so it was really cool. And, and so, you know, with that came uh, the farmer's market cause he started a farmer's market um, earlier that year. Um, it just got off the ground. <clears throat> and so but I had to like do all this. I had like, you know, basically farmer's market, they had a food truck that, that was there. So we, I had to get a food license, you know, and, and, uh, I'd never done any of that stuff before, you know, never ran a farmer's market, never even been like had a vending booth at a farmer's market. Um, but me and my crew, like that, that class, we basically, you know, started a design and yeah, we put in a food forest down in literally the center of downtown Oroville, um, which is huge. So everybody sees it. Uh, we had an Arbor Day f uh, festival that one of, we rented out to some people um, in the area. And, you know, we showcased everything we did that day. Uh, the whole community came through. We have a couple other bigger festivals in the area, like where they were able to come through and see everything we planted and um, cover crops. And, you know, like we planted like 13 fruit trees in there and um, herbs for the, for the restaurant and, Anyway, so that was like, you know, that started and that the farmer's market, you know, was, was going really well. Um, and, but we had a bunch of people that were local that had small scale farms that didn't want to come and spend their Saturdays, you know, sitting in the heat, you know, like they have families, whatever. So I said, well, what if we started like a co-op and, you know, people could drop off their food on Friday night and then I sell it for them on Saturday and so as soon as I did that, I called everybody up that said no. And all of a sudden it was like, yes, yes, yes. And uh, we, we went from one booth, like a 10 by 10 booth as the co-op booth to like a 30 foot uh, co-op booth within like a month. And, and so, and, you know, and everybody was stoked. It was all organic local food, uh, which was never here, you know, That's before, so cool. you know, and 
that developed from, and then we had the farm to fork food truck, which was selling all the food from the co-op, you know, so we just did breakfast burritos basically and simple stuff, you know, um, but you can always do breakfast. Like one of the things I, I know you always can do breakfast. So we did really well. People would come to get our burritos and we had bands, we had uh, open mic once a month there. And, you know, so like created this really cool culture um, downtown. It was like, I'd say to people, it's like, you know, an oasis in the desert, you know? So like when somebody sees you that's into this kind of stuff or even just kind of, you know, kind of into this stuff, you know, it's like, you can see it so far away um, because there's nothing, you know, nothing else around like this lush green, you know, uh, fertile community, you know, that they're, they're seeing. And um, yeah, I went from that. And then like the last couple weeks of the market, we put out a box um, you know, where we just made a $20 box, mixed box of produce. And, um, and then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I'll take a box. I'll take a box. And there was like, is this a thing you guys are doing? And I, I looked at my partner, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so we started a sign up, uh, the last couple weeks of the market and we had 35 people or so sign up to be part of a co-op box program, like a CSA which we were just like making it up as we went. Um, but what we decided to do is I took away everything that I didn't like about CSA. And so I, I made it where you can opt in and opt out every week. Um, it was, uh, you build your own box and it was a co-op of multiple farmers. So it wasn't all the pressure wasn't on one person, which like, you know, I have friends that did CSAs and it was, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of work, a lot of pressure. Um, and so we, yeah, we started that. We've got 78 members now um, for this, co we call it Co-op Box. Um, and, uh, you know, it's great. As far as energy order, like that was my whole thing is like, you're a farmer, you're out, you know, you're slaving away a lot of times, like in the summertime, especially out here, it's 100, it gets 110 degrees out here in the summer. I mean, it's hot. And, um, you know, so they, uh, they do all that. Then you expect them to load up all this produce like 5 a.m., drive to a farmer's market, sit in the heat all day, you know, to maybe sell some produce with not a very, you know, uh, big scene out here. And so there's a lot of spoilage, you know, they're giving up time with their families, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I've got to go and set up a farmer's market on top of that, you know, like, so I was vending, setting up the market, um, running the booth, you know, like running the co-op booth, uh, it was crazy. So we said, you know, okay, if we do this, all I got to do is call my producers on Tuesday, see what they have, make a list, send it out to um, our customers on Wednesday. They have from Wednesday morning to Thursday night to decide what they want in their box. It's a $20 minimum is the only rule. Um, and you can go over obviously. Um, and then Thursday or uh, they're done by Thursday evening. Friday morning, I, I put on order for the, uh, for the farmers, they pick fresh 9am Friday morning, like nine to whatever. And then they come deliver at my house between one and three, the produce, I box it all up. And then the clients, the customers pick it up between five and 8pm. And I've, I've done now maybe six, six hours of work total for that whole week. And, you know, and we get somewhere, we have 78 members, but we get somewhere between like 20 and 35 people a week, you know? And so, and we make, and so <clears throat> with the markup, 
we make about eight bucks, eight to 10 bucks a box. And when it's, you know, a lot of our, our own produce, then we, we can do a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> and so it's, I mean, the energy order is great. I don't have to leave my house, you know, at all. I mean, really? Um, and so it's been working out really well. We're starting a second one in Chico now. So <clears throat> that was, that was a big thing. And anyways, the systems like this, you know, and, um, you know, and then, yeah, just, you know, open it up whenever I had something I was doing in my backyard, I, you know, that, that I thought would be helpful for people to, to learn about. I would just post up a quick, you know, a little ad about, you know, Hey, here, let's do a workshop and, you know, keep it small and keep it like, no, I, I wanted to take the pressure off of this stuff. Cause I was like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this anyways. So it's not, you know, if, if hardly anybody shows up, it's not a big deal, but people started showing up, you know, and it was like, okay. And, you know, and then the same old things like, yeah, you know, we were pulling out, you know, weeds that are, that are, you know, food plants now. And, you know, like, okay, let's pop these up and start a nursery and oh, let's donate, you know, 10% of whatever we make at the nursery to the school garden programs in the area. And now all of a sudden, you know, parents are buying, from us for the school garden programs. We did it like box top program where you can say what school you'd like it to go to. I started showing up at schools and giving them checks and they had no idea who I was or anything. Uh, I was like, Hey, by the way, here's a check um, for, you know, like 50 bucks or whatever it was, <clears throat> you know, every so often like a lot for and, elementary schools mm -hmm. for a school garden program. They're like, well, we don't have a school garden program. I was like, well, if you'd like to, you know, uh, we'd like to help you get started. And so we picked up our first school garden program um, at Hearthstone School uh, in the area. And uh, and then we picked up two more since then. And, um, you know, and, and basically it was the same kind of uh, – anyways, I could go on and on, Matt. I don't know. I, it's just – it was like it was just one thing kind of after another. Um, just I'm like, okay, here's a leak in the system like here here's somewhere i can i can put this energy you know um you know we connecting people with our waste food that that can food you know um it's amazing what you're doing is demonstrating you're really applying that first principle of observation and reflection that protracted observation kind of thing i mean it's mm -hmm. almost like you went and honed your skills you know in the off grid and then came into a completely different resource base area and you have the ultimate resource, which is resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. And so you were able to go into the situation. And then what's so cool about what you're doing, which I think is the grand takeaway for everyone watching is this, that as you saw and recognized the resources in the people around you, you honored them and had them recognize value in themselves that they did not see, value mm -hmm. in their surroundings that they did not see. And it created this potential that, uh, you know, for greatness, for, you know, uh, great gardens, but, but just expanding who they are and expanding their definition of self. Mm -hmm. And, and what's really, really amazing um, is that you, what you've done with this co-op is essentially um, preempted a huge problem that's happening right now in, in, in areas all over the place. And I know there are listeners who are right now scared because of the market saturation of farmers markets. So they're mm -hmm. like, I feel like I'm competing against these farmers that we were like friendly when times were good. And now it's like our tomatoes against your tomatoes. 
And it's like the co-op allows for a completely different perspective and it creates much more resiliency because <laughs> what you're doing is instead of having those people um, compete, you're having them collaborate. And then like with Yelp in China, I don't know if you know this story, it's really amazing, but when Yelp went to China, immediately a copy of Yelp showed up, but then they kept changing themselves. And then they were like, all right, well, you can order through our version of Yelp. And then they were like, well, actually, we'll deliver it for them too. Mm. So they were able to handle deliveries. They are able to handle transactions mm -hmm. and promote them. So small shops that never could have afforded to have delivery mm. suddenly had the ability to do delivery. And, be, and they just designed it in a certain way that you would get like a free meal. And within the span of like two years, almost every family in China went out to dinner for free mm. through this program. And so it created this huge momentum that I see in what you're doing because, you know, the market saturation is real and it's because everyone's bringing everything they can. Mm -hmm. And if they were able to diversify, if they were able to not feel that pressure, able to just focus on what they want to be good at, which is mm -hmm. farming, I mm -hmm. think those, those farmers markets would be stronger. I think that they would have more of a magnet to the people in their communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they would, and they, I mean, it, we, I saw it in the Central Valley with TD Willie, actually, they did that same sort of thing where they created a co-op in order to combat all the, the droughts that were happening. And so it's a resiliency. So, so I just wanted to highlight those, those amazing. And I think that's, that's probably why you've been able to really keep that, that compass so strong that it has been for you. The boom, the boom, the boom, the next thing on the next thing. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, of what's the next thing for you? Obviously, after the fires here, mm. um, that sent me into a whole new direction, which I wasn't planning on going, actually. Uh, this year was actually supposed to be my year where I, I, took, uh, I took off uh, doing a lot of extra community activities, and I actually was going to you know, go back and uh, well, work on my property up in the mountains, which I still have, um, to get it more fire resistant and also write a book. That was my that was my whole plan this year, and then the fires happened, and it was like, okay, no, this is what I need to be doing. Um, so, you know, we're we're at a place right now where we're trying to figure out what that looks like, the structure of the whole program. Um, basically, after the uh, the campfire here in, in Butte County um, that most people know about, <clears throat> destroy the town of Paradise. Uh, and my daughter and her mother were in paradise, so they lost their home. Um, and so it was really close to home to me. And, you know, and not to mention, you know, one of my best friends, you know, uh, lost his house. He just moved to paradise a month before. Um, yeah. And, and lost his, all his stuff. He's like a naturalist and a big cactus collector. We go way back and, um, and he came to my house that morning before anything, before like there was even a, you know, it was, they didn't know it was going to be a big fire. When, when he came down, he said, yeah, I just wanted to get out there, out of there like soon because I saw big embers hitting my, my car when I was loading it up. And so he threw the dogs in and he, and he grabbed a couple of things, you know, but that was it. And then he came out here and was with me. And then we, we heard basically the whole town of paradise was destroyed um, you know, and so it was probably a week or a week and a half where he didn't know if his house was there or not, um, kind of thing. But 
this is how dynamic this was. He, he evacuated paradise. He came to my house in Oroville, which is a half hour away. Um, and then I said, well, you could stay up at my place in, in Berry Creek in the mountains, um, which is, you know, an hour from paradise, uh, half, you know, like I'm in the middle. Okay. So he goes up there and then two days later, he gets evacuated from up there because the fire had moved so far that it, you know, it got up to Berry Creek. So he had to evacuate there. He comes down, back down and stays with me in Oroville. And then we get evacuation warning here because it came here. And so he he got evacuated three different times um, in that short period. And this is also after um, being with me during the flood, the flood event where the Orville Dam spillway uh, was about to give and they evacuated like, you know, 200,000 people out of here. Um, so <laughs> he's seen, you know, he, he jo we joke, hell or high water, you know, like it's, uh, it's crazy. Like the, these infrastructures that we think, um, you know, we, we think so strongly about our engineers and, and, and what they can do. It's, uh, you know, not stable but so anyways that you know the that that hit me home and um you know like i had just met john lou um a week before the fire um actually we were i was on facebook and i started messaging him he wrote me back i started talking to him um he called me actually on on face facetime from china um it was like two o'clock in the morning there and he was like he was he was having a glass of wine and playing guitar and yeah, we ended up like talking for an hour and, you know, he invited me to be part of this council. I guess he had looked up my stuff and was like, you know, I think you should be one of the leaders, of, you know, in this camp movement that we're starting out here in California. There's going to be a council in February or March um, of next year. Um, you know, you should join. So I had just talked to him and then the fire happened. And then, you know, like when I was evacuating Oroville, I, mean, I was actually driving out of Orville and it hit me like, cause I had been watching some of John's videos and what was really crazy about it is some of his videos, he talks about ecosystem restoration camp. One of his big catchphrases was let's gather around the campfire and restore paradise. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, he would say that all the time because you know, the camps, like the whole thing was like, let's gather around the campfire and restore our human paradise. And, and I was just like, Oh my God, like, this is it. You know, this is the camp. Like this is, it's like, it's made for this. Everything I've been doing for the last seven years is like leading up to this moment. I have all these, you know, people that you know how to run nurseries and I've got soil, I've got wood chip hookups. I've got, you know, food systems. I've got all these things that, you know, are ready to go. I've got connections with all these great teachers and, you know, it's like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. So, you know, we, and it was, it was you know, there's a, I could go a long, long time about all, all the setup stuff, but um, it was just sad to see that the first people that were allowed into the, the area, we weren't allowed in, we, we called all the, you know, county and, you know, all the, you know, people that were the forestry service and, you know, um, fish and wildlife, everybody we could, we called trying to see if we can get into the, in the burn areas, cause our first goal was to lay waddles around houses uh, where the toxic materials were before we had those first rains. And I had been making videos, you know, I just made a video essentially 
um, just with the idea of what I wanted to do. And we had so many people contact me from all different walks, um, you know, restoration and <clears throat> permaculture, um, just volunteers, people that wanted to help. Um, and we probably could have got a hundred person army out there with waddles and, you know, we had waddles donated and everything to cap these houses, you know, to prevent runoff, but we weren't allowed in. And the, the communication was really bad. Well, who was in there? Like PG&E crews in mass re cutting down trees that weren't even dead um, and putting up power lines, uh, redoing their power line system, like re resetting the grid. And they were like thousands of them everywhere um, just doing this. And they, they've so far cut down um, 80,000 trees um, that were on, that are all along the areas where the power poles were. Um, and they're, they're estimating, I think like 600,000 trees they're going to cut down and a good, like 50% of those trees aren't dead. Um, but they want to make sure that they're safe, you know, so they don't fall onto power lines and don't, uh, aren't close to power lines. So they don't have the same problem. You know, they don't give the community a chance to like take a breath and go, Hmm, do we even want PG&E to come back in here? Like, you know, maybe we can go off grid, you know, because a lot of these mountain communities, they totally set up where the fire started. Jarbo Gap is like a whole wind. I mean, it's just like a wind corridor. You could have wind going on up there and like everybody could be self-sufficient. Wouldn't have this problem with the, you know, the power lines, you know, that's what caught fire, you know? Um, <laughs> so it was really frustrating. And those were the kind of like, those were the things I, the learning lessons from all this, you know, it's like, uh, how how is that the first thing that happens and what's crazy about it too is they were putting poles on properties that never had power poles uh, up in these communities why because in California the law is if you have if you are connected to the grid if the grid is available on your property then your your solar systems your off-grid systems have to be connected to the grid so basically while they were going through their replacing power lines they're creating new customers and you know it's just that kind of thing is it blew me away um and and then the first rains came you know because we weren't able to get in there um thank god there was some groups uh the california conservation corps were doing some real minimal uh waddle work but it was it was great i mean around the roads and stuff and the county was doing around the roads but any you know from the people's houses to their soil to their you know to, to other water systems there was nothing happening there. And, you know, we could have totally taken care of a lot, you know, in those first two weeks before the rain. And <clears throat> unfortunately that's something we'll never get back. Um, you know, that was probably the most important thing we could have done is to prevent the runoff of those toxic materials into the environment. Um, but nobody saw that as a priority. Like in my brain, I'm like, cap the houses, you know, erosion control, um, you know, get people, you know, and obviously there was a lot of people care happening, you know, that's, I didn't see that as like a, you know, a leak. There was a lot of that happening, you know, there still needed to be more. Um, and unfortunately, even though, you know, places like Red Cross and these other groups are doing really great work, it's not always uh, very, it's not always friendly to the local environment. They don't know the local area very well. They're not working with uh, local people as much as they should be. Um, and so, you know, we were like, Hey, let's get, 
local people jobs. Let's, you know, let's uh, let locals run this. Um, the big contrast between this event and the 2008 fires that happened because the county ran that one, people were actually back onto their properties within a month and a half, two months. Um, and, you know, and it cost like, I think it was like a hundred and hundred something million, you know, they estimate this will be like 1.7 billion. And um, yeah, just for the, <clears throat> just for some of the initial work that, that needed to be done. And, um, and, and it's going to be like a year out now. Um, so this is what happens when we don't have uh, systems in place to deal with this locally. Uh, we don't think about this stuff and then we're reliant on federal government for assistance, you know, and, you know, and, and, and like it was, it was at a scale that we probably would have needed to rely on something, you know, outside of this, but, the more we rely on on those systems, then the less control we have, and the more disconnected everything is. Um, but anyways, that was the beginning uh, of it, and uh, you know it was unfortunate. And this is the learning lessons that we can pass along. You know, like we always say, the mistakes are the most valuable things that you you can share. Um, but then we, we started getting some inroads. Like we started working with the county. They were about to sign a contract with us um, to go out there and do all this restoration work. It was like all goes and then it stopped. And they said, oh, no, we're not doing any contracts because the feds have kicked in now and they're doing this work. Well, no communication, uh, unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, we weren't able to still get in right away on that level. But then we started getting in where we could. You know, we're like, okay go to a couple of the places uh, in the burn areas that are still there. Like we had a hardware store up in one area. We had a church that was in paradise. We had a, um, you know, like a barn that was down in Butte Creek Canyon, which is in the Chinook salmon habitat run. Um, and those guys at Butte Creek, there was a lot of like local uh, activists and ecologists and stuff that were you know involved with the salmon. So we teamed up with them right away. Um, it was kind of like one of those forgotten places. So they weren't really putting up roadblocks and stuff there as much. So we were like, hey, let's get in where we can. We did a whole bunch. We, we got like over a thousand waddles donated, um, you know, right away to go into there. So we, we started with crews, like work crews and putting waddles around houses, teaching people how to do that, um, teaching people how to use other materials on their land, like trees, like laying trees out on contour um, you know, to, to prevent erosion. And, um, cause most of these areas, it burned so hot that it actually destroyed the seed bank even, um, you know, it was really, really bad. So it's like any organic matter we can, we can stop from going down the hill, any seeds, you know, that we can prevent from rolling down the hills, it's like <laughs> creating little microclimates, go zoom tight. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we worked there. Then we worked up at the hardware store um, in Concow, and we've got we got another we got like eighteen hundred uh, rice straw bales donated from a local rice farmer. I was just calling rice farmers up and like saying, "Hey, you got extra stuff?" And yeah, got a big donated. They even like delivered it and you know and everything for us. And um, and yeah, got more waddles from Cal Cal OES, which is one of the the government agencies that was doing work. And we finally were able to pin them down and um, they donated a whole bunch. And yeah, we started teaming up with uh, local council, like fire safe council, 
um, the uh, um, Fish and Wildlife. And the Fish and Wildlife um, told us about a program that they had to help homeowners to um, get paid to do restoration work on the properties. So, and she was like an old uh, Sierra Club, like gal, you know, and, and she was just like super into what we were doing. And um, yeah, I just started making allies, you know, and it turns out that the head of the Fire Safe Council, uh, the executive director right now, her parents were permaculturists that, that took their PDC back in the 80s, right? And so she was able to sneak me onto a board um, meeting with like all the top, top people in the area. Like it was like the county supervisors, like the mayor of paradise and like Cal fire and uh, forestry and all these people. My buddy jokes, I have, you know, I still, I, I put the, the paper on the wall, you know, framed it, and put it on the wall because it's like, we got a permaculturist rep, you know, with, with all these like main mainstream you know uh leaders in the area and uh you know and when i was talking at that meeting um it was a panel i was on a panel with all these other groups and we brought in probably a good third of the crowd there that day um so the conversation continued but when i was talking about things like you know we have the technology to to redesign our communities in a way that's going to be more resilient to to these climactic energies you know and um you know we have the kind of building technologies you know cob and you know uh yeah other earth and structure like that and when i was talking about these buildings cal fire was next to me and they were all nodding their head like they knew because, and then I talked to them afterwards and they said, yeah, we've traveled around uh, California and, and, you know, different fires and we've seen these kind of buildings survive the fire, you know? And they said, if you build it, we'll set it on fire and test it for you. <laughs> so, um, and I had been working with Whoa. the, yeah. That's very, know. that's, a, that actually would give us the working proof to get it pushed through all the different um, legal channels. Mm -hmm. right let's figure that out yeah it's pretty cool and you know i'm learning all these things and um i had developed relationships with a lot, with some of these folks like the county supervisor bill Connolly. um i've been working with him um when the dam situation happened like i was one of the only people that was pointing out like well why how did they not know like why was it such a um a shocker when the water's levels raised so quickly and we're all of a sudden had to go over these spillways they've never used ever, you know, since 1967, you know, and the only thing I could think of was the silt layers on the bottom of the lake have rose because of all the erosion happening up in the mountain from the logging activities and all the things we know people do. We run water off really well off hardscape, but we don't pick it up. We don't slow it down. Um, and so, you know, I brought that up with Bill and he was like, wow, nobody's said that. Like nobody's ever even thought of that. And yeah, like the, the silt levels of the lake have risen like a hundred feet in the last couple of years. Like, I mean, Whoa. last like 10 years, I mean, there was massive amounts of erosion happening up the hills uh, around here and just bad practices, you know, like they cut down all the trees before the spill where the spillway would have come over they cut all the trees down like thinking that they were actually going to help from clogging up like the system down below or something and uh, that's part of the reason why they had to evacuate all these people out and you know just so so bill was already like knowing i'm 
I'm thinking in a different way. Um, and you know, might have some good, you know, things to talk about. Well, he, he pulls me aside afterwards and he goes, well, you know, there's a, uh, an ordinance that was passed back in 2008. It was called a uh, title 25. And it, what it allowed was temporary housing units, um, shelter to be made without permits. And <clears throat> so in 2008, when the fire happened in the same area, they made this, this ordinance, this temporary ordinance it was a year ordinance that allowed you to use any kind of construction methods to build yourself a little home, you know? And so he said, you know, we're, we're about to vote on that and extend it for five year. And so what they did is they, they added into the code this year. Um, they added, uh, encouraging alternative sustainable design models. And so, and he said to me on the side, cause like most of these areas that were burned are unincorporated areas, mm -hmm. right? They're not in a town proper. So he said, look, you got five years, you can do whatever you want. You know, and, and I said, I want to work with your engineers and stuff. I'm, I want to work with your planners, you know, like, like, so we can be on the same page and, you know, and like, let's do it. So yeah, we have a 20 acre site uh, of one, like really right off the highway, the first place up there. Um, so we're going to be doing a little bit of everything on this property. Um, you know, homes, uh, you know, like we've got Miguel Elliott from living earth structure, um, is coming out. He's, he's helping us out building some little tiny houses. He calls them palatable cabins. Um, you know, and, uh, we're going to be, so we're, we're putting in water systems. We're doing gray water systems. Um, composting toilets, um, you name it. Like the, the county basically says, we're not saying you can do this, but we're not going to stop you. And you've got five years to prove these systems, you know? And I was like, all right, that's all I need. That's all we need. Yeah. Um, so that was like, <clears throat> that's, that's the biggest thing, um, out of anything else going on. And we, we continue doing the, uh, you know, giving away restoration materials. Um, we've been able to you know, organize. Well, in, you know, we, we've basically inspired a, quite a few other events that have happened. Um, so we had the fire, um, the fire action weekend. It was, uh, you know, down in Los Altos. Um, that was, you know, through the ecosystem restoration camp people. Um, and they called me up because the, the council was supposed to be on February 22nd, but they couldn't get things together uh, in time. So they called me up and said, Hey, well, we rented this space. How do you think about having a fire response weekend? Um, you know, bringing all the top fire ecologists and, you know, ecologists and uh, permaculturists and, you know, let's have a, like a best practices kind of, you know, um, meeting. And so that was, that happened. Um, John, John Lou was in town. Like we got to meet uh, that weekend and um, you know, we had some great people. We had tribes represented um, there. There was the, the Amamutsun tribe, which is one of like the leading uh, tribes out in that area in the Santa Cruz area for um, teaching fire um, to, to their people and um, having like working with forestry and other groups, like reintroducing um, prescribed fire into the, you know, into the systems again. And, um, and that was really powerful. And so, yeah, um, that was, I mean, you know, just little, little accomplishments like that. I mean, it was like, it was huge. And, um, so then we, now that group is like 
coming to the council uh, here this weekend. So now the ecosystem restoration camp council meeting is this weekend, my birthday too, March 22nd. <laughs> All right. Happy almost birthday, by the way. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and we're actually, we got a call from UC, uh, UC Stanford um, well, about a week ago and they, they were like, we want to donate a bunch of money to you. Um, you know, so we got like, I don't know, it was just like 500 bucks, but you know, like we got, we got a donation from them and they're like, we want to send out students. We have this thing called beyond the farm um, that we do every year. And we want to send students out there to do some tree plantings and some stuff. And so we're like, well, you know, like if we're going to do that, we might as well make it a camp, you know, let's, let's make this the first camp. And so on uh, April 26th, 27th, on the 28th, we're basically pulling together the very first ecosystem restoration camp in California here. Um, so we're going to be able to go down this weekend to the, the council and actually give an action item to everybody. We're going to be talking a lot of theory and I'm going to be like, here you go. Here's the first one. It's, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but let's, let's pull it together. Um, and so we've been uh, getting consulted by, uh, um, What's his name? Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan rising from the permaculture action network. Um, you know, I'm like, well, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's, let's call some people that have been doing the same thing for a long time. And, you know, mm -hmm. Ryan, Ryan has been helping organize the permaculture action days for, you know, last couple of years. And, um, you know, they're doing, doing great things. And so, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're getting, you know, getting a lot of information from him, what to do. Uh, we've got a, pro a couple properties in the area we're looking at right now. Uh, one's a 15 acre farm. Uh, it's really close to another property that we have set up all these living, you know, these examples, bunch of swales and ponds and food forest and, you know, a lot of really cool stuff. So we can take people on a little trip uh, around uh, to see that. And we're going to go to, the last school that is in the burn zone that like survived and they're in the, the kids are there still like they, and these parents, like some, some of them drive their kids like an hour up a day to go to this, to go to the school up there. And it's just surrounded by destruction everywhere. Um, it's crazy. And you know, we're, we're actually putting in a school garden there. Um, so that day, like we're going to be installing, um, a school garden and I should be a little careful cause we haven't like a hundred percent on a lot of the, some of these things where we're like right on the edge, but, um, but we're going to be doing some great stuff and uh, we're going to be either at that school or another school that I'm, I'm working with right now. They're both students from, um, from the burn zones, you know, that, that got burned out and, um, and both of them, regardless of this event, they're putting in school gardens, which we've, we've helped uh, get going and, we're going to be putting in some cob benches like pizza ovens and stuff like that and planting a bunch of trees and um so yeah but mainly just coming together in community and um you know and with the energy of restoration and you know music and food you know yeah and just getting together and it doesn't have to be perfect and that's what i'm trying to tell everybody i'm like you know let's get together and let's you know let's eat together and let's um let's start this conversation um, because there's a lot of work that needs to get done and it's super overwhelming, um, you know, but, but it's good. And then it, it like reflects on everything else that I've been doing. So I can like use a lot of these, these 
models that I've created in the last couple of years and share them with the, the communities um, as they're rebuilding and, and, you know, and setting up. So it's exciting. It's really, it's, it's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's, it's overwhelming at times. You know, I get my emails went from like, you know, maybe 10 or 20 a day to like 200, 300 a day right now. And people are just pouring in. It's been, it's been hard just like trying to figure out how I, how I can, you know, sort all these things and, and send them out to the right people. And so that's been really a big part of it is just creating systems to help um, network, you know, everything. Cause we have people with skills and we have people with needs and we're like, okay, we have to get those people together and so we've been working with some great uh, people that are developing some processes for us and um, different programs we can use to communicate like that. And um, yeah, uh, Alan Myers from um, the Earth Theme Film Festival, he's the guy that's been up here doing a lot of like direct action work with local people. Um, he's yeah, he's been putting community meetings together. We were like kind of doing the same thing, but he was more on the lines of like direct action, you know, people care. And, you know, I was like land, more land-based. And so we just, we, we connected now, um, you know, started the rebuilding paradise um, model, which is like, it's going to be the over, the, the overarching kind of organizational body for everything that will be a tool for the whole community to use. Um, so website, media arm, like, uh, they they're both filmmakers so they've been filming local projects um and getting the word out helping them raise money um and so forth so a lot of things to talk about <laughs> oh man this is exciting well and, and you know the other part of that conversation is that you know we can't even do it exactly the way that the indigenous people did anymore because the the because the ecosystem is so degraded Mm -hmm. um it, it has to be um it has to be looked at in a whole different way because you know what i what i try to explain to people it's like why why is this happening well fires and floods are the the extremes um of these climate conditions these climate upset whatever you want to call it um climate chaos um you know, in California here, we had, you know, millions of grazing animals, you know, we had antelope and elk and, you know, I mean, like it was, it was crazy. This valley was just a Serengeti, you know, um, we had, you know, 20 million beavers doing work here in California, you know, I mean, can you imagine like what that, you know, you can even think of what that looks like. But yeah, you could, you could walk from the mountains to, to the ocean under the cover of trees you know, at one point there was grass taller than man, you know, streams. There was the golden grizzly bear. That's on the California flag. Most people don't even know. That's the original California flag is a golden grizzly bear. And nobody's ever seen that before, you know, like, caught, you know, put into extinction. So we came here, we eliminated the animals. We eliminated, you know, we started logging masks, you know, uh, all these things, mining, you know, like just completely destroying the biomass um and the main element though is those animals and i try to explain that this is the most important thing that we lost you know those elements you know basically keeping the forest down you know like by eating the the new growth every year i looked at a toyon tree with somebody or bush whatever um and 
it had like nine, uh, nine different, you know, branches that went up from the base. And, and I, I realized that there wouldn't be nine branches if there would have been grazing animals there, there would be maybe one or two in the end. And it's that kind of thing that builds up the brush so much. Um, but the native people, when they were burning, you know, they were coming behind all these elements that are, that were doing all this work and we can kind of think, Oh, well, we can come in there and cut, you know, and use chainsaws and, you know, and log some of it and chip, you know, whatever, but you can throw millions, billions of dollars at this and we're, and all that energy, right. That we have to spend all the money that we have to spend on it. We're not going to come close to what those grazing animals used to do for us. Mm. So, we're in a whole different place. You know, we have to be very thoughtful about how we, how we go about this. And I think we also have to abandon the idea of only using natives um, to do this job, you know, as far as native plants um, too, because the, the ecosystems are so degraded that the, the native plants uh, aren't growing like they used to. Um, it's a different climate now and we have to use the information that we have available to us now and be able to use functional pioneer species to help bring in shade again because the the biggest thing that's happened here is that we've removed vegetation we've removed removed biomass we've we don't have the biology in the soil anymore which is the biggest part because nothing's breaking down you know when i was a kid like you know we'd have yeah all this stuff it would break down over the winter time but there's not the fungi and the bacteria and all the other elements at place breaking that stuff down so it's just sitting there and it's just sitting there from winter all the way to summer and it's causing this big fuel load <clears throat> so you know because of that we've we've got to rethink how we how we but it's it's simple it's you know we need to infiltrate water we need to accumulate biomass you know organic matter and biodiversity and that's like that's the name of the game if everybody starts thinking that way um, and it can happen in small, simple ways, um, you know, then we're going to be way, you know, way ahead. You know, my buddy said, if everybody in all of the town started putting wood chips on the ground, you know, we cooled the town, you know, we, we dropped it probably a degree or two, you know, just a lot more than that. Actually, I did wood chips. I did a test and it was 112 degrees ambient temp. And the soil's two inches deep with bare soil. It was 140 degrees because the dark color, you know, magnifies the heat. You went to the wood chips. It's like four to six inches of wood chips. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's a thin thing. But mm -hmm. I did that and that soil was, all right, it went down from 140 to 100, no, no, to 74 or 76. So dramatic. It's like, it's so incalculable and I, I, I say 50% mm -hmm. but it's degrees and it actually doesn't work that way because then you talk to someone who's centigrade and then it's not the same 50% because of the way their their degrees are different so I always mm -hmm. hesitate to use that math of the 50% but it's so dramatic it's 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 crazy now I wanted to ask you something and maybe um, maybe you've heard of this maybe you haven't but 90% of the greenhouse gases are caused by, uh, or 90% of the effect of greenhouse gases is caused by water vapor. And so 
there's this huge conversation. Zach Weiss is really spearheading it because Holzer's whole thing is water in the landscape, water in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And then Brock Dolman's whole thing is wetlands, beavers, mm -hmm. habitat. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm convinced that the key, the linchpin to all of the, the, the rewilding restoration protection that we can get is the wetland. So if we can reestablish re wetlands, it will have this, uh, this, this uh, cascade effect, this trophic cascade effect that would affect all the other forms of life. And we've seen this, not just with like the beavers and the wolves and Yellowstone, but we've seen this with all the, the Ducks Unlimited rewilding, right? They bring yeah. back the ducks, but then it brings back everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, I really believe that wetlands are, are key. And have you read Sand County Almanac? Uh, no. Okay, because you would be a kindred spirit, I believe, to, you know, the father of conservation in America, or the, uh, you know, the grandfather, I guess. Um, but he, he goes through and he not only talks about, you know, like the loss of the grizzly bears, but he talks about all the different elements that by the 1940s were gone. Mm -hmm. And he lamented the loss of all of our ecosystems in the 40s. And it's, and it's like, it's, it's, it's really painful to read, but it's also that like deep realization that nothing we've ever seen has been wild, really. And everything we've seen has been in recovery. Um, and so having those other elements, those non-native elements, bringing those in strategically is so scary. So scary, but it's, it's, it's absolutely critical at this point. Um, and it will take experimentation to know what's right, but yeah. I, I don't see any other way around it. The, the, the system, it, the, what, what, we've, what we experienced from the 1940s till now was the battery. You know, like, like, like you were talking earlier, we need to have storage, you know, like we need to have battery storage, food storage. You know, we we cut off the supply, we cut off from the grid, you know, and we're running on batteries. We're at the end of our batteries, like, you know, our batteries are running low. And this is the highest expression of those, uh, of that right now is the fires and the floods. And, but look how resilient, you know, everything was for that period of time to be able, like to, to be even, to make it this long. That was that bank, that was that battery bank that we were, we were living off of that, you know, for the last, you know, 80 years. And we were living off of that battery. And, um, and that just shows you how, how profound, you know, those elements were on the environment. I mean, we had, we had organic matter still, you know, we still had, uh, you know, the trees, it's just everything started to decrease in health. You know, the, the temperature started to raise, wind started to change. Um, yeah, uh, John, uh, John Liu here at the, at the uh, fire weekend, it was like 10 o'clock at night and he played a, a slideshow that he hadn't shown anybody yet. Um, it was about the Sinai Peninsula. Um, and I don't know if you saw that and he did it at the UC, uh, Santa Cruz. He just touched on it. Um, but <clears throat> what he realized is that the Sinai Peninsula was one of the oldest, you know, it's one of the oldest, uh, agricultural areas um in human history it was like the land of milk and honey in the bible you know it was like um an oasis i mean it had 
multiple river systems running through it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it was one of the earliest places that we degraded. And, um, you know, if you look at it on a map today, you know, it's complete, you know, desert and, you know, all the rivers have dried up for the most part out there. It's just, you know, um, and that was just years and years of overgrazing, you know, using all these elements. And what he said is that the, because of it used to with all the moisture and all the cloud seeding, you know, bacteria from these trees and everything, it was pulling all the moisture from the upper atmosphere and the winds were coming in uh, from from the sea there. Well, as soon as we remove those elements, the wind, the, the, instead of the moisture coming down, it started getting pulled up into the atmosphere and it never came back. And the winds changed, right? And he, he calls it a, um, he calls it an acupuncture point on the earth. And he believes that the, when the winds changed there in Sinai, it literally changed the whole, um, the weather patterns on the whole planet. And if you look now, on the earth, on the longitude where Sinai is, there's a band of brown all the way around the earth. And guess where's it, who's in that path? California, right in that band, okay, which is trippy. And when you start to think about, okay, you start to think about, there was two aha moments that happened when he talked about that for me. One was that if you were to think about how do you restore the earth, right? you will need to go back in chronological history of human impact on the planet. So literally, like if you start with Sinai, like now, and you literally follow the, the path of humans in agriculture throughout time, now you're actually healing the planet in the same order that it was destroyed. And so the, the impacts would be appropriate, I guess. But it also made me think, okay, so that was a big aha. Like, oh, well, we actually could have a plan on fixing the planet. You know, like, here's, like, where you start. That's pretty big. Um, and, then, and then I started thinking it's follow the wind. You know, you want to go upwind and see what's happening there because most likely whatever's happening upwind, you have to follow all the way upwind and, and repair that first. So I immediately went on the map and looked at Concow and Paradise and where, where the fire happened, and I followed the wind pattern up the mountain. And guess what I found? Just up, up the mountain from there is an area that has been the highest logging activities in the last 15 years. Wow. And that's what decreased the temperature, or increased the temperature and created the drought winds, the, the fire winds. And that's, that's the reason why this happened. And so you could fix paradise, like you could restore paradise and you re restore concow, but if you don't restore the land upwind from that, you could have the same thing happen again. And so it makes you start to think in, you know, in an ecosystem, you know, model, like, you know, a climate model, like, okay, wherever you're at, like as far as fire goes, you know, and, and that's still, you know, it goes the same for, for erosion and, you know, all these other things and floods, um, but follow up river, follow up wind, you know, that's where you're going to have to fix first. Um, and so, you know, now I'm realizing that working with logging companies is going to be a really critical factor, you know, how to transition 
logging companies because they're at the bottom right now. They're not making any money hardly at all. They make like a couple hundred bucks per truckload of, of trees, you know, like in California, they make like 300 bucks per truckload of trees. I mean, it is insane, you know? And so, you know, you got these people just like in many other places on the earth that are holding on to these cultures, right. That are not going anywhere. Like, Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, cattle rancher. Or I'm a, um, you know, log, you know, I'm a logger. Well, okay. Well, the industry isn't there anymore and maybe we have other options now, you know? So I think the biggest thing we can do is try to figure out better jobs for these people. Let's, let, like when going back to the very beginning of our conversation, it's like, let's befriend these people. Let's bring these people in. Let's give them hugs. Like they, you know, that's what needs to happen. Cause if we can somehow make them realize like there's more products actually that you can be harvesting out of these areas and you can be doing it regenerative, you know, ways like just simple little, you know, conversions, like instead of, uh, burning all the slash, you know, for all this material that you're not using for timber in these massive slash piles, which is removing all this biomass and all the, you know, just organic matter from the areas and making it hot, you know, let's bury it. Like let's Hugo culture it. You already have to put in water bars. You have to do these things, plant trees and more diversity behind it, mm-hmm. you know, and now you have a diversity of crops, you know, that are, products that you can be let's get you into new products like let's start thinking you know you're you're harvesting building materials okay let's put you into some other um means to do the same thing are they harvesting the national forests or is it like uh oh yeah yeah so that's actually classified as crops by the usda it's controlled by the usda it's it's all actually cropland so this idea of diversifying their yields I mean, shouldn't fall on deaf ears. I mean, it, and, and I've been saying for a while, something that dovetails with this is that we need to elevate them to the, the heroes in this story because they really can be the stewards of the land. And, and many of them have this deep connection with the land um, and, and, and logging because it's just been grandfathered in, literally in some cases, they, they haven't really identified that as, as, as hurting the landscape, maybe because they just don't know. But most of them have this deep connection with the land already. And so we just have to honor them at that higher level, in my mind, at least, I think. And we can get them to those roles because they want to serve. They want to have that win. You right. know, they want to make their kids proud. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, who else is going to do it? Who else mm-hmm. knows those mountains? Mm-hmm. No one does. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, PG&E keeps doing all these crazy things and starting all these crazy fires because they're just like, we need this objective. And they're just trying to accomplish that objective. Meanwhile, the people up in the landscape have been living there for generations. They know that land. Mm-hmm. So, wow, man, I really appreciate all of this. It's like, mm-hmm. you, 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 it, it's like, here's a spoon that dig yourself out of this issue. He's like, wait, what? You know, it's like, it's like they're, they're, they don't have enough people. They don't have resources. It sounds like the same story everywhere. And it actually is. I mean, we have one, I was talking to this uh, guy who wants to start ocean farming. It's like, well, for the three different organizations that are supposed to be handling all this, it's one person. And he's like super stressed out because he's got to do, you know, seven people's jobs essentially. And it's like all these critical 
positions really need more people, more attention, more love. And so really it needs people like you, you know what I mean? To start up in all communities, to feel called, to just open themselves to the possibility to be more observant like you have been, to see, be reflective as to the needs and the resources and skills in your area so you can start making those connections for those people that don't see it yet. Yeah. And once you do, you start that momentum and you get that, that, you know, that, 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 uh, that battery charging on the social level mm-hmm. that will start sustaining us through the inevitable climate disruptions that we're going to have. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Seeing the waste, you know, as a resource, you know, is probably the biggest thing that you can open people up to. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much of that and, it's it's just yeah let's link let's link it up let's let's link it up to somebody you know it's like i never these these wood chip guys you know they're paying 30 dollars to go dump their wood chips and they have to drive 15 miles i estimated cost them about 80 80 dollars um every time they drove out there to drop a chip you know some chips and i i'm you know they're dropping it over here for free you know to me and you know we and i'm giving them jobs like with other you know clients of mine and stuff like that they're like win 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 you know and uh and, and yeah it's just now all of them now they're starting to think about like how they could utilize these wood chips all of a sudden they're like we we were doing all this work you know all this energy out to you know just dump these things and you know i've got people coming to my yard sometimes when they're picking or when they're dropping off wood chips you know, picking up stuff and they donate. I like, I don't charge really for some of the local people around here. Um, but they always, I say $10 donation, um, suggested donation, you know, if, if you can afford it. Um, and you know, they're dropping off and I'm getting paid by somebody else, you know, and they're like, all right, we're missing something here, you know, (laughs) but no, it's, it's fun. It's, um, it's created so much meaning in my life. Um, you know, I mean, I was a DJ before I did all this. I was a hip hop DJ for, you know, since I was like 13 and, you know, I was like touring with bands and, and stuff. And, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was trying to connect with people. I, I didn't, I knew that things weren't right. I was felt lost. You know, I felt I didn't have like a purpose other, you know, and I was feeling a little bit disconnected with the crowds of people that I was, you know, being around sometimes in in that music world and stuff and um, finding, trying to figure out something, you know, getting, I got in a lot of trouble when I was a kid, you know, and just acting out and being crazy and, you know, and man, as soon as you start to reconnect into the path of, of life again, you know, real life. Um, and, and nature's, you know, uh, pattern again, it's just like, holy moly. Like I had no idea how connected that you can be. And it's like, it's mycelium, you know, it's, uh, it's a mycelium network. And, you know, once you're in there, you know, and you see it for what it is, you can't ever get out of it. You're like, you know, it's, it would be crazy, you know? Um, so I've, I've never had more fun and, and just, yeah, met, I've never met such amazing people. You know, that's the other thing that I love about this whole world is the people that you meet. Uh, it's just, 
awesome. You know, I, my, they threw me a surprise birthday party uh, two nights ago, actually. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, they got me good. They got me good. I was actually turning, I was, uh, we did, we built a compo. I've been teaching at PDC since uh, last Saturday here. And um, we built a compost pile that day, but we only did like three fourths of the way. Cause you know, I was like, well, you guys get the point, you know, like let's move on to the next thing. So I was finishing it after class and uh, my girlfriend comes out and she goes, there's something you got to see. And I was like, what? And I run, I think there's like an animal in my house, you know, and I run <laughs> to the back door with my pitchfork and it was like 13 of my really close friends. Um, pretty much like three fourths of them were people I put through uh, a design course and are now all doing amazing regenerative things in the area, you know, got their own projects going. Like, you know, we're best friends. Like it's just, it was like, it was the best thing. I cried like three times that night, you know, it was just like, wow. You know, and then, and to see that I've created this entire world in three years, roughly just by following these patterns, you know, of, of nature and seeing these things, you know, these leak points and how to connect them and, you know, and, and it's like, you can do it, you know? And, and that's why I'm like running, I'm out there like, you know, telling everybody I, I can meet like, Hey, this is, you know, this is a good thing here. You know, like if you guys want, you know, interest in this kind of thing, like I'll happy to help you because it's worked for me and you know, life is great. So where can people reach out to you and uh, how can people uh, participate, whether it's through becoming a member of the ecosystem restoration camp as I am a member. Yeah. Um, or, or coming out and even, even volunteering. I'll be actually driving back up the coast, um, the 24th, 25th, 26th. So I might be going right by you. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, well, um, to answer your question, so probably the, the easiest way right now, if, if you're interested in the, um, you know, the campfire project, um, go on to rebuildingparadise.com. Um, it's the website. So yeah, we rebuilding paradise is where you can go fill out the survey, um, there, which the survey now that was created by one of our, uh, our people, Frank, um, will network you with the right, you know, send you the right places. So you can say whether you want to volunteer, whether you're a teacher, whatever it is, um, it'll connect you to the right place. So that's the first step. If you want to get in that, that project um, and I'll send you to the right people um, April 26th if you want to come out for the, the camp weekend um, we've got reservations starting um, on on that page so you can um, RSVP it's free it's you know it's not a we're not charging anybody um, it, you know we're gonna have a capacity so um, I'm sure this is gonna your show is gonna probably blast it out like you know a lot of people so um, you know, get a hold of us. We're, we're obviously trying to fill spaces with a lot of local people as well. So, you know, keep that in mind, but, um, you know, on the 27th, if we, if we're full capacity, it's, it's all hands on deck on the 27th. That's a one day action day. So we're going to be doing a lot of great stuff. Um, I'm kind of telling everybody like, this is the chance for us to all meet again, you know, like, cause I had so many people reach out to me since the beginning of this and I haven't had a chance to really, get back to everybody. I'm like, let's come on the 26th, 27th, you know, definitely. Um, and let's, let's reconnect. Let's, you know, let's see who, who is in our community. 
here that's that's you know trying to do these things and um yeah and then you can reach me through uh treetop permaculture um dot dot org uh or um you know treetop permaculture at gmail.com um I'm, I'm kind of like i've kind of got a little answering service now because it's been it's been getting a little crazy but um I'm, i like to really connect you know with people and um you know I, I probably will call you back myself so at this point in the game so um yeah and you know just uh i think having these conversations in your own communities and not thinking like you have to you know get you don't have to get in these bigger communities you know it's all about what's happening right around you and like you know the small slow solutions and the and the like i said those little connections with your neighbors and everything this is the most powerful thing that you can all do so awesome thank yeah. you so much this was so packed with best practices and words of wisdom <laughs> yeah this is awesome and i know you're going to have a lot of people very interested I, I, I'm pulling it up myself right now to RSVP. Um, yeah, so John will be there? That we haven't confirmed yet. I don't know what his schedule is like. Um, so we've kind of, you know, I told John when I seen him in Santa Cruz last, you know, I said, uh, you know, we're doing this regardless, John, you know, it's not, I, I was like, I don't need your permission, right? And he's like, no. He's like, that's the whole point of this, you know, is it's, it's an idea. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, the Permaculture Action Network's been doing this kind of stuff for a while. You know, a lot of other groups have been doing similar things. Um, you know, you can call it whatever you want, you know, is the way I look at it. But we're going to go camping. We're going to have a good time and we're going we're gonna to do some good things for the community and the land. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much. This was perfect. Cool. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll have to talk more about all of our uh, our connections here. <laughs> For so sure. people don't know, we found out we're we're born literally a day apart in 1982, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, totally. Now get I get the energy. Like totally, <laughs> I totally understand it now. <laughs> so that's great. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. All right.